Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Transgender Podcast and of course today I'm going to talk about the three events that have just taken place, Paul, Pune and Tenerife. Uh, I'm recording this like about maybe f- two hours, even less after the Paul final, so the last final for the day has been finished. So I basically will know uh, the first round of qualifying results for the previews, but anyway, it doesn't matter for now. I think what we need to talk about first though is the three top 100 debuts that we're getting this week and because... Uh, basically, like all of them were in main tour events, where or you know at least one of them was was not done through any results this week, but just simply you know anyway not not in a challenger. We have to mention them at first, and of course one of them is Mariano Navone, who is by the way still in the final in Rio de Janeiro. By the time I'm recording this, it's going to be about three hours before he takes the court against Sebastian Baez. You guys, when listening to this, will already know the result. But I think, um, obviously, I have to mention that uh, Navone's run definitely is uh, very... I'm very happy to see it. Um, The five challenger titles that he won since June last year when his talent exploded on us like this. uh, It was uh, definitely one of my bigger wishes for 2024 to, to see this guy break through. He does... Initially on the main tour, let's say it wasn't looking that clean, right? I mean, the the first appearances in Cordoba and Buenos Aires. Well, in Cordoba, maybe he was fine losing in free sets to Carpaez Baena, but how he was blown off the court by Darderi, things weren't looking too promising. However, in Rio de Janeiro, he manages to get that final run. It's absolutely massive. He's already at 60 in the rankings. And uh, basically, he's going to get a lot of main tour chances, even off clay. I don't know if off clay he can do well, but uh, I am so excited to see him in all these European clay court events, um, you know, in April, May, because this is sort of when we will test how serious he actually is. To me, he's not far removed from the quality of Sebastian Baez. Maybe he's going to win today. We'll see. But yeah, definitely very happy to see that. The other uh, player who also made a final was Jakub Menschik in Doha. And I think with that one, we were just sort of certain that it's imminent, right? Especially after the Australian Open. I think that every uh, single one of us was just like, yeah, I mean, Menchik is going to be in the top 100 very soon and he's going to get all of these milestones. However, he almost got them all in like one week because he literally beat uh, his first top 50 player in the first round, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Then he survives that crazy match against Murray and then he beats Andrei Rublev. So a first top 10 win as well and the first quarter, semi-final at the ATP Tour level. And he loses to Karen Kachanov, but, you know, by that point he was so tired, he lost a tight opening set tiebreak. It's perfectly fine for him to lose that final, of course, but, well, Menchik is the real deal, let's be honest. I mean, the, this week, of course, we also had a phenomenal run from Rojao Fonseca in Rio de Janeiro. I'm not going to talk to that about that, really, because, well, I'm going to talk about Fonseca when we get him on the Challenger Tour next. But top 100 debuts, I have to mention... Uh, Menchik, Navone, and also Thiago Agustin Tirante, who kind of sneaked his way um, uh, past uh, some other players. Basically, Tirante lost in the opening round of the qualifying in Rio, so he didn't earn any points. However, other players dropped it, and he's going to be at number 100. Uh, it's a great achievement, obviously. I think the, jur- the jury is definitely still out on how much damage Tirante can do on the main tour, especially uh, not at altitude events. It would be good for him to have a run in Santiago. It would be good for him to sort of make it until Kitzbühel-Stadt or something like that. All three guys I had on my top 100 list for 2024. Tirante, I was sort of doubting myself on for sure. But um, 
basically I thought that in the first three months he has to be pretty good because then you got this Mexican altitude swing, right? Where he was goating last year and he's generally off always goating at altitude. So like if he doesn't defend the points there, if he doesn't get there before April, it could be hard. However, he uh, managed to get in as a lucky loser to Cordoba, win a round, and also in um, Punta del Este, right? He made the final. It was a pretty uh, easy run, let's be honest. So I think that Tirante got, got a bit fortunate, but now he gets a chance to sort of show us that he actually belongs. And Santiago would be a good start, as, as I said. I mean, this is an altitude event. This is theoretically the best, one of the best possible events for him on the main tour. He's playing Joao Fonseca in the first round. So, well, I mean, this is just a total... I have no idea what's going to happen in this match because, well, Fonseca is 17 and, and you never know what sort of level he's going to bring. Fonseca uh, already beat Tirante in Sao Leopoldo in 2021. Uh, sorry, 2022. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it just sounds very even to me. And uh, it's going to be quite exciting for sure to check out how Tirante does in Santiago. So yeah, Tirante, Menchik, Navone, as I said, all of them I had on my top 100 list. I think Menchik and Namone, Navone were automatic uh, inclusions. I can't really take credit for picking them. Uh, however, I can take credit for how much confidence I had in them. And with Tirante, I definitely had my reservations. Like, I, I was not sure, but he was close enough that I thought, yeah, he'll probably sneak his way into the top 100 at some point in the first three months. He did. Anyway, uh, after that uh, brief uh, segment on the top 100 debuts that we got, very rare to get free in one week. And um, now we should talk about the challenges that happened, you know, get back to the usual. So let's start with the biggest one, of course, as, as always, we start in Po, where Otto Virtanen beat Leandro Ridi in the final. And by the way, like, indoor event, Otto Virtanen, Leandro Ridi. Like, what more do you want? Like, this is literally one of the best possible indoor challenger finals, right? Uh, did it deliver to me? Yes. Of course, it would be nice to get a third set. But it was still enjoyable, absolutely. And these guys are just so good in these conditions. And Otto Virtanen, the titleist, let's talk about him. And uh, I mentioned that on the show before. But like Virtanen it was in real trouble. Because until the end of April, he was going to defend over 50% of his points. So from a ranking of about 170, he could have fallen out, let's say, outside the top 300, top 350 maybe even. So things were looking really dire, and that's mostly because since March, since April, since beginning of April last year, he's only been winning matches in Davis Cup. He's only been playing good matches in Davis Cup. And um, the Paul title does not cover for everything. However, it covers for a lot of these points, and especially winning the final. You know, it's I mentioned that before, but like it's such a big difference right now with the round-by-round -round point distribution changes, whether you win the final or not. And winning it for Virtanen uh, is just absolutely massive because he has nothing to worry about right now. Of course, sort of uh, going forward, ideally, we would want him to make the top 100 this year, for example. So for that, there's still a lot more, a lot of work to be done. But, uh, you know, for a guy who plays this baseball tennis a lot of the time, he was insane this week. He was so clutch. He won all five tiebreaks played. 
Uh, add, uh, on top of that, he actually trusted his baseline game again. And he has a real baseline game, you know? The way he was defending, scrambling around the court against guys like Nakashima, Ridi. Yeah, he was actually really good at that. And uh, the forehand, of course, it's like kind of like a maybe Christopher Eubanks type of shot, where you have a lot of pace on it, no spin. But it's it's a massive weapon. And usually we don't see it because we see Virtanen just sort of strolling around the court and zero, with zero focus and determination. But not this week. I mean, I don't know if this is because of the stakes that were there, because of him realizing that the indoor season is coming to a close, that the indoor swing is very short and he has to uh, start pulling things off. I have no clue. However, uh, it was still an impressive effort from the Finn and I hope that this will continue. I really hope that he's going to trust himself off the ground right now and that he's going to keep playing with this focus because we really only since the last indoor swing uh, and not even the indoor swing at the end of last year, but since the indoor swing March, April last year, March technically like April was like one match. And uh, since that, we've only really seen Virtanen pull this off on in Davis Cup matches. Only there, only for his country he was firing up. And this level, yes, it was absolutely insane. It was top 100 quality indoors, 100%. So he beats Lamazin, Per, Pui, Nakashima, Ridi. When it comes to Leandro Ridi, obviously he is absolutely insane this year as well. He's 17 and 3. Indoors, that would be 17 and 2. He lost to Virtanen and he lost to Hrikspor in Davis Cup. Other than that, title in Oeiras, title in Otinielu Vonlanev, and now a final in Po. So obviously this is also fantastic for Ridi. He beats Rodionov in the second round. It wasn't even an upset, you know. He was playing the top seed. He was playing a guy who's very close to the top 100 now. And it was... Oh, actually, he is in the top 100 now, of, of course, Rodionov. And... Um, he, it wasn't even an upset. Ridi was actually the betting favorite. And then he beats Prismic as well in a great match in the quarters. He beats Clemon Shidek. He snaps his 13-match win streak. And he loses to Virtanen. And one big aspect of this final that Ridi screwed up, let's be honest, 5-4, 40 love up. On serve, in the first set. You can't possibly blow a set away, blow a set from this position against Virtanen, right? Well, apparently you can. To Otto's credit, he played a lot, of, uh, a couple of really long exchanges and, again, was just showing levels of rally tolerance we probably haven't seen from him since these Ilkel and Purcell finals last year. I think Purcell was the, the latter one. And, uh, by the way, Virtanen also claimed his fourth challenger title, all of them indoors. Ridi's titles have also all come indoors. All four of them, however, he's had finals outdoors. Virtanen is actually a perfect 4-0 in finals. Uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing to add really about Ridi. Let's let's see if he's going to maintain it outdoors. But indoors, he's obviously a very scary proposition uh, to everyone, really. Like, you know, you throw in Ridi against a top 50 player on indoors right now, and I think he's going to have a fantastic chance to win. Even the match against Griegsport that I mentioned in Davis Cup, he definitely had his chances, at least in the opening set, but it was two tie breaks, you know. And he beat Botting van der Zandschulp, apparently, in Davis Cup. Maybe a win over Botting doesn't matter that much at this point in time, because he's kind of in a, in a, on a poor run. But anyway, still, 17-2 and two indoors. And uh, absolutely an insane start to the season for a guy who had a horrible time for the most part in 2022. When it comes to the semi-finalists in Po, I already mentioned Clemon Shidek, and I guess I already mentioned Brandon Nakashima. 
so to talk about them a little briefly, of course, Shidek was on that great run, 13 wins in a row by the time he got to the semis. Very tough encounter in the quarters against Titu Androge. Maybe his best win over that run, because of course Shidek won the 15k in uh, Gren Grenoble, was it? I think it was Grenoble. And then the Glasgow Challenger. And then he makes the semis in Paul. So a great run for him. I mean, uh, the way he was like really scrappy on the defense, but then taking over whenever possible. It's very similar to what he played in Glasgow. He played with so much energy in Paul as well. Then against Reedy in the semis, you know, I was expecting it to be, well, I don't know if a blowout. It was 6-3, 6-3, but it just never felt close. But uh, that's kind of how it had to end, I think. He was on a very on an insane run. He was playing a lot of deciders as well in the meantime. Long match against Droge, as I mentioned. But uh, all in all, of course, this was a fantastic run. And hopefully after being injured for a bit of last year, um, this time we get Shidek as like a more... Um, yeah, just a more regular presence on the tour. He is definitely capable of breaking into the top 300 this year. And you know, who knows, maybe Grand Slam qualifying. He should get a French Open wildcard as well, right? I mean, that's something that uh, last year did not happen for him because that was during the time of the season when he was out, which was basically for about four months. So um, French Open wildcard this year. I don't know if main draw or qualifying, but he should definitely be eyeing something like that. And also Brandon Nakashima. I said it before, but I'm not really sure why Brandon is still in Europe. Like, if I was him after winning uh, Tenerife, after making the semis in Belgium and uh, losing in the final in Koblenz, I would have sort of tried to hit the main tour already. But, you know, it's fine. He's building up the, the challenger cushion, if you may. He's building up more points that he can sort of rely on then when he hits back to the main tour. In terms of uh, Po, he beat Delor, Trotter, Bellucci in a great match. That was actually one of Mattia's best performances in a long while as well. I was very impressed with him. And as you guys know, you know, I've been sort of uh, hyping him up for a while. But um, obviously, he hasn't had the best of times recently either. Nakashima gets through Bellucci, though. And then he loses against Virtan. And he, had, he was up a break in the second set, however... Uh, that was a bit of a, a trend of Virtanen's week, that he was down the break and he was either breaking right back or, you know, breaking in time to still win the set 7-5 or 7-6. And uh, this also continues the little trend of Nakashima losing only to Grand Slam uh, finalists because Virtanen, the Grand Slam junior finalists, because, um, of course, Otto Virtanen was the, at, the Wimble at Wimbledon 2018, he won the boys' doubles. I think this trend has already been broken, though, in, by Hertz and Rodionov, the last two losses. But, you know, it was there for a while, right? Ridi, Menchik, Kazo, Draper, uh, Marterer. So I I'm going to keep mentioning it maybe if it happens, but, uh, of course, it's not really a big story anymore, let's say. And when it comes to my winner pick from Paul, I did get a point this week. However, it wasn't in Paul. In Paul, my pick was horrible. I did go for Rindernech and he lost to Hazem Naf in the first round. It's not a, it's not a terrible loss. It's still a match that I would expect Rindernech to win. And of course, Naf was coming from the qualifying. So I couldn't know which opponent he was going to play. So maybe me liking uh, Rindernech's draw that much, maybe that was actually a little bit of a stretch. However, uh, Nakashima also didn't win it, and this, the, these were the two guys that I was thinking of, right? Well, really, I guess I mentioned that I also considered, but just having Rudionov in the, in the second round, that was too tough. And Virtanen I never would have gone for because he was looking lost for months. Hopefully, no more. 
And when it comes to doubles in Po, we had a title for Brandon Nakashima actually alongside Christian Harrison. Christian Harrison recently turned doubles specialist, doubles only. He is already in the top 200. Nakashima and Harrison, they played their first event together and they beat uh, Lloyd Harris and Benoit Paire, then Jonathan Eiseric and Albano Olivetti, and then in the final, Romeo Arneodo and Tristan, uh, Tristan uh, Samuel Weisborn. I think right now he's called like Sam Weisborn, right? I think he shortened it. But anyway, um, he they, they won three matches against real high-quality pairings, of course, just like as the singles draw in Paul was very strong, the doubles absolutely were uh, that too. Uh, with that, I believe we can go to Pune, which is the third out of four events on the Indian swing. We are slowly getting towards the end, but we still have one more coming. And this is actually where I got my point this week with Valentin Vachereau, who beats Adam Walton in the final. The semi-finals being Dane Sweeney and Duya Aydukovic. Let's, of course, start with the champion. Vachereau, absolutely insane this season. He is 18-1. and one. I love how he sort of turned his, um, let's say, caveman tennis, as I called it, I believe, on the show before, into something completely different, into like actually constructing rallies, into wrapping up points at the net. Uh, of course, he's a former Texas A&M player. Uh, he was great in college, but over the past two years, other than that one non-Taburi title in 2022, he was kind of just like surviving on ITF results. But this year he is insane. He wins three challengers, Nontaburi one, Nontaburi two, uh, Pune also wins two matches in Davis Cup, one of them being actually tough against Dan Adolfo Daniel Vallejo and being a crucial point as well for Monaco because if he lost, the, the, the deciding rubber would have had Benjamin Balleré, who's been retired for years playing for Monaco. So uh, I actually was sort of thinking whether Balleré is better than uh, Arnaudo or Nis, right? I mean, in in singles at this stage. And it's tough to say, I would have played this actually. But anyway, it didn't get to that because Vachero beat Vallejo. And the only loss that, that Vachero has had has been Delray Beach qualifying. He lost to Gabriel Diallo. So definitely nothing uh, to be ashamed of. This week he beats Pospisil, Schoolkate, Quaco, Sweeney and Walton. And as I said on the previous episode, I just lo love the idea of him playing on these altitude hard courts. This is a, definitely a sort of court profile, conditions profile that has suited him, suited him in the past, sort of regardless of if it's a hard courts or clay. I don't think he would be that good, you know, in Mexico, for example. However, on a court like this, where it's like, you know, a thousand, a 500, 700 altitude, it's just a little faster, a little, let's say, maybe grittier. I, I, definitely, um, I definitely enjoy his game a lot. And right now he's just... Uh, absolutely, I mean, he's unbeatable, you know, on the challenger circuit. He had a couple of tough matches. He saves a low 40 in the third set against Sweeney. And of course, the final against Walton was absolutely fantastic. This was 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. He had leads in every set. 3-1 in the opener, he loses five games. He leads 5-2 in the second set. He It gets to a tiebreak. And then he leads 5-3 in the third set. It also gets to a tiebreak. 3-5 down in the tiebreaker as well, the, the last tiebreak, and he's he's really tired by this stage. And somehow he wins a couple of these great points and Walton cracks on 5-all in both tiebreaks. But a great win for Vachero anyway, of course, Walton, we're going to get to him, but also in, in amazing form this year. Vachero, 18-1, I think that's really all there is to be said, you know, about his disposition this year. Is it a serious top 100 um, prospect this year? By now, I think we pretty much can say that he, he is, right? I mean, he is in the top 150. When it comes to the ATP race, of course, it's still very early days, but he is 34th. Uh, he has already gained almost 300 points this year. So basically, in two months, 
he has gained about 50% of what he will need to achieve in order to break the top 100. Leandro Ridi, if you want to know, he has 276 points. So basically 19 less than Vachero. So both of these guys are in a fantastic position to attack the top 100 soon. When it comes to like other players who are in the ATP race that high and haven't broken the top 100, by the way, Zizou Bergs is high, but that's also because of his November runs. Um, and I guess Patrick Kipson is also very high, 53rd. So uh, there are definitely some good propositions there. Yuncheng Shang, 57th. But uh, for the most part, yeah, Vashro and Ridi lead the charge right now of these players who haven't been in the top 100 yet, but they've already gained a, you know, insane amount of points in 2024. By the way, Facundo Diaz Acosta, 16th in the ATP race. How crazy is that? Already 500 points. I mean, credit to him, obviously, uh, for what he did in the Golden Swing so far. Anyway, uh, Adam Walton, let's talk about him now. Uh, of course, he was the finalist. A great run as well because he wins Bernie, he goes to Bangalore, he loses to Sumit Nagal. So, of course, a very understandable loss. And then he goes to the Pune final. As I said, he kind of cracked on the two most important points, like one each in one tie breaks. Um, in one in each tie break. And for the most part, like he was actually the guy who in the key moments was more consistent than Vachero, right? I mean, we've said that Walton, well, he might look underpowered against some like higher quality opponents, but for the most part, he can also be aggressive, but at the same time just has this, yeah, a lot of consistency to his game. That's how he won in Bernie, right? Because he was basically hitting bigger than Sweeney and he was hitting more consistent than Sweeney. In Pune, he kind of almost did that again, besides hitting bigger, of course, just, just being more consistent than Vachero, it was giving him a lot of opportunities here. However, yeah, the, the two points at five all in each tiebreak, that wasn't amazing. And he, even on the last one, he could have followed up that one big forehand to the net. Vachero kind of wins this point by scrambling and Walton makes another error. But at least it wasn't like the five all point where the error kind of came out of nowhere and... Uh, he actually had to um, defend a couple of shots, Vashro, to, to get that. Anyway, Walton was also involved in a crazy thriller against Tunglin Wu in the second round. He was 6-5-3 up, serving for the match. Then actually Tunglin Wu in the third set serves for the match. He survives. Other than that, he beats Aidukovic and Corignon. So honestly, great wins. And uh, he makes another final. So he's also getting like reasonably... Uh, close to a position where you can think about him breaking the top 100. I think it's possible for him. I think a lot will depend on the scheduling. He's definitely capable of winning a lot of these challengers. Yeah, India, Asia, Australia. I kind of wonder how he would look in Europe uh, against a much stronger field. Currently, he's already gained 158 points. So, you know, he's also on the way, let's say, to, to the top 100 debut. It's, it, he's just not in a position like Vachero or Ridi because he has about 120 points less earned this year than, than uh, them. And I also don't think, I don't think it's even a, um, an opinion, right? He's, he's just not as explosive as Vachero or Ridi. Um, I, I do kind of trust him more though to, re, to remain in this very solid state for the rest of the season, right? I mean, that's, that sounds very realistic for him. Dane Sweeney, uh, one of the semi-finalists, they, we, they were close to securing um, a rematch for the Bernie final with Walton. However, as I said, Sweeney misses a couple of uh, key breakpoints against Vachero, but he beat um, Jean-Vier, Kashnikovsky, Karianda Punacha. Karianda Punacha was a crazy match. And by the way, let's, let me mention that um, um, Niki Karianda Punacha 
uh, the double specialist right now who is ranked in the top 150 but uh, back a few years ago he was only playing singles his carry high is 605 and he uh, basically had that famous run in 2020 just before the pandemic in Bangalore where he beat uh, Lukas Rosol and at the time it was still major you know to beat Lukas Rosol his odds were like 10 to 1 and then he loses to Yuichi Sugita and also plays a good, good match so there was always some underused potential like untapped underused potential in Kalianda Punacha but you know for a while he never really showed anything out of that and the, besides doubles of course and here he actually beats Carlo Oliveira that was not that massive to me However, Sumit Nagal in the second round, what a win. And then he also puts himself in a position to beat Sweeney, 5-2, two, two match points on return. Sweeney saves one of them. He was like out of the point, but obviously Sweeney is insanely fast and he manages to turn the match around. But what a, uh, what a week for Kalianda Punacha, who has since retired in the qualifying for New Delhi against Dan Adet. Um, however, um, let's just say that against Kalianda Punacha, Sweeney was not really outplaying him off the ground, which maybe you could be surprised by, but we know that Dane, well, he is insanely fast for sure. He also absorbs pace well. However, uh, when it comes to like having maybe the most dangerous baseline game, obviously he's not really that sort of player, right? So actually it was a pretty even match of the ground. But then against Vashro, Sweeney played much better. I guess it was just an opponent that suited him more, uh, a bit more of a natural flow to his game rather than Karijanta Punacha, who was like hitting massive serves like Vashro, but also going for the return, often going to the net. Vashro also has improved in that department, but like definitely still plays more usual singles tennis than Kalianda Punacha. But uh, still have a good week for Sweeney, of course, and he almost got that got to that uh, rematch with Walton. And when it comes to the la last semifinals, Duya Dukovic, actually a huge opportunity for him, because if he won the title, he would have broken the top 100. And he had his chances against Walton, you know, it was 7-5, 7-6. Uh, he was very close to taking the second set, even though he was already like almost out of it. He was saving plenty of match points, but still had his opportunities. The draw was kind of easy. Fanslow, Boyer, uh, Zakharov, he had issues with Fanslow. But we know that uh, Idukovic, well, mostly due to his sort of natural, uh, you know, instability, let's say, and how he uh, approaches matches mentally, often he, um, easy wins aren't really coming to him, right? Like easy wins don't necessarily have to be easy for him, if that makes sense. And um, this time making the semis, it's already a big step. When it comes to his chances for breaking the top 100, I mean, it's Idukovic. He can go on a run and win two challengers in a row and absolutely do it, right? He can also go cold for a few months. And then since like maybe April-ish, he's gonna actually start defending points. So we'll see. In March, for example, like that's basically a clean slate for him. In fact, February for him, and, and it still is because he's, oh, actually, I don't think he's playing New Delhi actually, but but um, February was a basically a full-on clean slate for him because he did not play a match in February in 2023. Of course, starting that revival more or less in Sekesh for Hervar when I uh, I was able to watch him live and then the ITF runs in Kursumliska, Yabanya and, and these other events. But but yeah, uh, still a decent week for Idukovic, but the chance was there for it upon her debut. And if he did that, if he made the final, then Tirante wouldn't have broken it actually. 
So when it comes to the Pune uh, doubles, we had uh, Tristan Skulkate and Adam Walton winning the title. So we almost had Walton going for the double. He uh, th They beat Dan Adet and Yun Seung Chung in the final. Uh, the Mineni Ramanathan this time did not manage to get there because they won Chennai and Bangalore. Uh, they already were on a 10-match winning streak. However, they lost to Skulkate and Walton, so the eventual champions in the semi-finals. And with that, we can get to the last event, Tenerife, already the second event in Tenerife. However, the first one was like a few weeks ago, uh, obviously, so uh, it's not precisely following one another. However, there will be a third event in Tenerife next week, and this one will follow. Um, the uh, the second event directly. When it comes to the finalists, we had Matteo Gigante and Stefano Travaglia, and you might be like, well, did, haven't I heard this before? And in fact, in 2023, Matteo Gigante played Stefano Travaglia in the final of the Tenerife Challenger. However, back then it was the Tenerife 3 event. This time it's the Tenerife 2 event. They also played each other in the, in the Tenerife 2 event, but uh, that was in the qualifying. And both matches in Tenerife were won easily by Gigante. And I know that Travaglia has beaten him on clay since, but it seems that Gigante just has his number, like, completely, you know? I think that um, he, uh, for some reason, he confuses Travaglia so much more than other left-handers. Because, theoretically, Travaglia has a decent record against lefties, but against Gigante he just comes out and looks so confused. And part of that is, of course, how good Gigante is and sort of how varied he can be at the same time being so competent both on attack and on defense. Um, Gigante, I think, is also a potential top 100 prospect this year. I did not pick him to, to make it. However, uh, it's not impossible for him, definitely not, I wouldn't say that. And he managed to beat Gianessi, Andreev, Caruso, Maestrelli and Travaglia here. Very uh, Italian event, but as I said last time, I don't know if you guys remember, this event is basically run by an Italian company and you always get a lot of Italians. Sometimes they even get wildcards, this week actually not, but a lot of the time they also get wildcards to Tenerife. Uh, so he actually beat four out of five Italians, but this is a second title this year already for Matteo Gigante. So um, it's definitely an insane start to the year for him as well. After the um, first one in Nontaburi, he went the ATP route. He tried qualifying in Montpellier and Marseille. He lost, in bo he lost both times in the first round. He comes back to a challenger tour, he wins, and he's also going to be in the next event in Tenerife. He, uh, because the, the previous Tenerife title dropped from his ranking, he actually didn't improve it all that much because, well, he basically just, you know, got the same amount of points. However, next few months are going to be a big opportunity. If he can produce something on clay, especially, that will be a... Uh, a big chance for Gigante, because after Wimbledon, he has a couple more big challenger runs coming. So the Milan final, the Cordenons title, and then post Cordenons, so let's say post August, he again has nothing to defend for months. So he was very stop and start in 2023, which might allow him to um, have that, you know, top 100 opportunity at one point or the other this year, for sure. When it comes to Stefano Travaglia, it's still a good week for him. I mean, he was he was pretty insane, beating Bonadio, Brancaccio, Kovalik, and then Jules Marie. 
Uh, Jules-Marie, uh, again, just crushing him in the semis, just like he did in Koblenz. Also, this is a sort of on the back of that Koblenz run, right? So, so uh, this this is already two events for Travalia back-to-back where he is doing really well. However, again, the, the match against Gigante, I mean, it got slightly more competitive in the second set, but something about Mattia just absolutely makes him turn off on these Tenerife courts, and that happened third time or for the third time already, and that was the only final this week that was a little disappointing. Uh, not in terms of the actual names, like I think Gigante Travalia on paper is a very nice final, just in the in the sense that Travalia once again did not step up against his uh, compatriot on these particular courts, because as I said, he also beat them in uh, Parma, I think, or whichever one of these Italian uh, challengers on clay in June last year. When it comes to the semi-finalists in Tenerife, we had Francesco Maestrelli, so again, Italians, 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 but also Jules Marie. Maestrelli, uh, he basically uh, beat Jorda Sanchez, Rodriguez Taverna, Dam, and lost to Gigante. Wasn't too fit in the Gigante semi-final, and I think we already saw that in Tenerife as well, because he lost in the qualifying to uh, Massimo Giunta, who is uh, definitely a bit of a mystery to me. So um, we probably saw that, but once he, w- once he was actually playing and once he was fit this week, it was still a decent run for Maestrelli. I think these Tenerife courts, and he also did well on them, by the way, at the beginning of the season. In fact, so far this year, uh, Maestrelli has five wins and all of them have come in Tenerife. And I think these courts are pretty slow and it's a profile that really suits him as well. And a lot of these like clay quarters do well here. I'm not saying that Maestrelli is a hardcore clay quarter. Clay quarter, like I can definitely understand if you're gonna say that he's like a more of an all surface kind of guy. But still, like so far, his best conditions have been clay, and I think um, a lot of clay quarters basically do well in Tenerife. And Jules Marie, the semifinals, a little bit disappointing for him again to like not come any close to beating Travalia, but he did beat uh, Jean Borpiroz, the Cherbourg champion in the opening round. He did beat uh, Denis Novak and Nika Rocha. I think it's very clear what I also was talking about after Koblenz that uh, Marie has improved his serve. And, you know, maybe he's actually going to be making more challenger impact than we think. However, this year, of course, this is his first run. Before that, it was mostly second round exits or first round exits. So uh, we sort of have to see how he continues from here. He's going to play Tenerife 3 as well, facing Rodriguez Taverna in the first round. And actually, Rodriguez Taverna is one of these clay quarters who usually do well in Tenerife, despite maybe uh, their other hardcore results being most of the time rather disappointing. Uh, And when it comes to my pick for the title in Tenerife, I don't even remember right now who it was. Let me think about that. Oh, it was Jesper de Jong. And I kind of have to um, say that, you know, I'm a bit excused for that because he wasn't fit in the third set against Salvatore Caruso. Let's see. I mean, for now, Jesper is in the Tenerife free draw, so he's probably going to be fine. Uh, but um, yeah, basically uh, the loss to Caruso in the second round, a little disappointing, but again, I don't think he was fit in there. So um, I still think he, in Tenerife 3, if he's healthy, he's one of the best players in the draw and he will have a good chance at the title. Whether I'm going to pick him or not, I can't tell you yet because I have no clue. I haven't looked at the draws that much yet. Uh, the only, well, I actually looked at two draws and it was Lille and uh, Kigali. And I think I know who I'm going to pick there. I don't know yet about Tenerife and I don't know yet about New Delhi, but we're going to get there soon. For now, we still have to do 10 doubles in Tenerife and then match an upset of the week. And then we are going to get to the previews. 
So when it comes to doubles in Tenerife, we had Pet Renoza and Patrick Rieck again claiming the title. It was a very tight final against Sander Arens and Sam Verbeek. So a great final, honestly, like I would pay good money to watch that. And Noza Rieck are currently 8-0 and zero this year. They also played one event in 2018 when uh, they lost in the final of an ITF. But however, since, since teaming up recently, uh, they are 8-0, and zero, winning all eight matches, beating some very good pairings because they handed another loss to Segerman Trhach here in the first round. They beat Yebavi Vega Hernandez and they beat Arends Verbeek, which I think is an awesome win right now at the challenger level, you know, given how strong the Dutch duo has been doing. Basically this year, yeah, losing to only some, some very high quality pairings. And uh, all in all, I basically think that this uh, Noza Rikl double has been going very well so far and obviously this is like a big serving type of pair and especially Noza I think has so much potential and uh, right now he's already like 19 in the doubles rankings I, I think if he fully commits to it instead of like um, you know sort of trying out some singles and like maybe still not being fully sure I think that in doubles, he has a, a pretty decent future ahead of him, for sure. Anyway, uh, let's talk about match and upset of the week. So as usual, I put out the poll on Twitter uh, because Virtanen and Ridi basically finished like hour 40 ago or something like that when I'm recording this. Of course, there's still a lot of hours left in the poll. However, we have a reasonable amount of votes already. It's 103 actually by now in three hours, which is surprising to me because usually these polls end at like 110, 120 votes. Uh, but I sort of said to myself that if we get 100 votes every single time, that's fine. Like th then it makes sense to, to keep them going. And it's also easier for me later on to choose, um, you know, uh, matches for um, the end of list, end of year list, for example, because I just type into, you know, the Twitter search engine, I just type my handle and then challenger match of the week poll. And basically I have all the tweets. If I put it to latest, I have all the tweets in one place. So I can just, uh, without glancing through every draw, I can basically just get to what was the best, even if I don't remember it right away. Anyway, uh, when it comes to the actual poll, I think uh, Tenerife sort of gets skipped here in the conversation. And there are two major things. Paul had a lot of classics. Paul had a lot of matches that I wanted to include because there were three, um, three tournaments this week and you can have four poll options on Twitter. I actually chose two matches from Paul, but I wasn't even sure which ones to go for. I ended up going with Nakashima Bellucci, which I know is a bit of a personal favorite, let's say more for me than no, than for uh, that for other people. However, there's also Herbert Goffin, which I think everyone loved. Also, Ridi Prismic should have been popular and Shidek Droge as well. What a fantastic battle that was in the third set. And um, I think either of these matches could be match of the week, but I'm still going to vote the Pune final. Uh, anytime we get something so dramatic and also high quality in the final, I think it kind of deserves the nod. I enjoyed all of this. I enjoyed all the Pune, all the Po classics that I mentioned. I enjoyed the Pune final 100%. I legit cannot tell you which was the best match. I think I'm just going to go with the final because it's because it's the final, you know, and because it was just as good and also more meaningful. Um Ridi Virtanen was pr is probably like the match that I the idea of which I enjoyed the most this week. It was good. I absolutely cannot say that it was bad. However, um, yeah, maybe not getting that first set. I can't really possibly say that it's better than all of these classics that I just noted. 
And when it comes to upset of the week, uh, let's briefly look at it. So Virtanen over Nakashima, yeah, pretty big. But when you see that Virtanen is in that full motivation uh, mode, yeah, you're kind of going to expect him to beat guys like that. Has enough over Rinderneck? Uh, pretty good, pretty good, yes. But I think I would like to choose something else for sure. In Pune, there is one major upset, actually two major upsets. And I think it's clear that one of them is the biggest. But let's also mention, well, Caruso over the young, as I said, maybe Esper wasn't two feet. But yeah, basically Pune and one guy really made all the upsets this week. And it's Niki Kalianda Punacha. And I have to go with his win over Sumit Nagal. Uh, by the way, great tidbit that I got from uh, Vatsal Tolasaria. He um, has this Indian Tennis Daily uh, profile on Twitter. If you are interested in Indian Tennis, definitely a good follow. And uh, he um, told me that in a league match in December, on the same courts, by the way, on the same courts in Pune, Karianda Punacha beat Nagal. I didn't think too much of it at the time. Um, I still feel like this loss was probably impacted by Nagal playing so much recently. And by the way, he's getting a Dubai wildcard. Um, but um, I think it was impacted by this. However, Kalianda Punacha, I think that was still an awesome, awesome upset for him. And uh, just um, the way he played in that match, honestly, just absolutely crushing his serves and returns, just not giving Nagal any rhythm. That was insane level. I've been saying for years that Kalianda Punacha has been, like, to me, is one of these very sort of underused Indian talents where, like, if there was proper funding, proper training in the Indian Federation, he could have been something. I'm not saying he could have been Sumit Nagal, but he could have been a challenger player, for example, or I don't know, maybe, yeah, top 300 or something. But this was far better than I even thought of when I was, you know, saying that for the past two or three years. So um, absolutely fantastic and I think a very clear contender and very clear winner even for upset of the week. And now we get to the events that we will be previewing. We, are, we have four of them coming uh, once already. I have to tell you, very exciting to have an event in Rwanda for the first time, obviously in Kigali. And we have four events. So plane, the plane challenger in Lille is a 100. There are two 75s in New Delhi and also Tenerife, part three, and also Kigali. So, of course, we are going to start with uh, Lille, the biggest one. And by the way, let me tell you that it's also a bit of a shame that the indoor, Swiss, that the indoor season is coming to, the, to a close so early. Because it's clear that there are a lot of players who could sort of benefit from having more events. Because some of these round ones in the draw... I mean, they are, they are just absurd. So Lille last year was won by Otto Virtanen. I don't know if he's going to win again, but he is in the draw. Top seed is Artur Rindernech, and he plays Landro Ridi right away. Thank you. I can end the show right there. I mean, we're not going to find a better round one matchup. Or actually, <laughs> there's going to be something comparable in this very draw. But anyway, uh, Lloyd Harris, Luka Pui, also great. Billy Harris plays Arthur Gea, the uh, French junior, who we were sort of expecting some big stuff from, given how he finished his 2023 the, on the ITF tour. However, he's just coming back after some injury and, well, hasn't been that good in futures yet. So I don't know how much we can actually expect from him against Billy Harris here. Benjamin Hassan is also in that part of the draw playing a qualifier. 
another insane round one. Benoit Paire against Alexander Blocks, and the winner can, can get Otto Virtanen or a qualifier. There's a couple of qualifiers and then Zdenek Kolasz against Grégoire Barrer. So by the way, a fantastic opportunity for Barrer to make, make the quarters. He really needs it right now. In Paul, he had a terrible loss to Egor Gerasimov and losing to Gerasimov, well, if you're Barrer and you really need to succeed in these French challengers, it's kind of bad, but it's not even about that. I mean, he was 6-1-3-1 up and his game just completely, you know, disappeared on him. He, he is absolutely lost right now. And it's such a big contrast as well to where he was at the beginning of the 2023 season, when this was like his first, let's say, proper main tour stay. And he was actually winning matches as well. Bottom half, Radu Albot against Mark Lyall. That's a great one as well. Uh, he has Brower against Dino Prismic. Yeah, I mean, I love all of this draw. <laughs> then you have Tito Androgay against the qualifier, and then Joris Delors against Zizou Bergs in this all-Belgian matchup. Uh, these all-Belgian matchups, I mean, I instantly think of uh, Bergs Goffin, right, in Otinielu Volnanev. But uh, even Bergs against Delors was a match recently, right? Where, where was that? Um, Oh yeah, the Australian Open. So um, yeah, it's been kind of haunting Zizou, or maybe it's good for Zizou. Well, he is one in one one, I guess, in these matchups. But anyway, um, the next one is the bottom quarter is Giovanni Pecci Pericard against Jan Hoinski, Shoshima Bukuro against Mattia Bellucci, Antoine Escoffier faces a qualifier, and also there's the second matchup that I was thinking of when I said that Rinder Nehridi is so good, and that's Pierre Igerber against Brandon Nakashima. Insane. I mean, some parts of this draw, okay, it's it's a bit lopsided, but like as a whole, the quality is very high and it kind of clearly shows you that finishing the indoor season so early is a weird choice, I would say. Um, I think the indoor season in Europe should go and should go on until the clay, should go on until the clay hits the main tour. So like um, up until the end of March and that's how it's been over the years. Uh, but anyway, you know, what can we do about that? Uh, maybe maybe I'm not even right. Maybe you guys have a different opinion. Anyway, when it comes to the qualifying, I have to look at the results because uh, basically it hasn't been updated yet. One match still going. But yeah, Oscar Otte, Egor Gerasimov, uh, Henny Squire, uh, Hazemnav, who's been doing some damage, Manuel Guinard, the recent Glasgow finalist, Filip Krajinovic lost again to Tristan Lamazin. So there are some dangerous contenders, but we're not going to be focusing on it too much because, well, the quality of the main draw is so high that... I don't think the, the the qualifiers can really do much damage. So who are the favorites here? I mean, the winners of Erber Nakashima or Rinder Nehridi, these guys can go very deep. I don't think Virtanen is going to win back to back, mostly because of his fitness being like a little spotty, but uh, he could absolutely, sure. Uh, Barer, he has a nice draw, but I just don't really trust him to you know beat one of these top guys right now. And basically, because of Lyal being out of form, because Prismich still has some, let's say, I, I still have some doubts in regards to Prismich's ability to keep winning matches consistently without getting into too many grindfests on the Challenger Tour. And because of that, I am going to go for Zizou Berks. Also, another argument is that he won in Lille in 2021. Then I think he was also in the quarters in 2022. So he loves this event. Uh, if he beats Delors, to me, he has every chance of making the semis and going even deeper. Um, I think a title would get Zizou into the top 100, if I remember correctly. Of course, this is likely to happen over the next few months anyway. 
But as a whole, I do think that this is a very, very good opportunity for him, considering that Nakashima plays Erber in the first round and Rindernech plays Ridi. So basically these two big favorites as well, or who is the favorite even? I mean, Ridi is again the betting favorite over Rindernech. So Nakashima, of course, will be the betting favorite over Erber, but I think Erber has a very healthy chance of, of getting the upset there. And actually the odds are pretty close too. So um, yeah, all in all, I think uh, Zizou just compared to these guys, he has a much better draw. If it was uh, Gregoire Barrer from the previous season, I would be I would be picking him because his draw is even nicer. But um, I can't do it right now. Not after watching that match against Gerasimov last week. And let's get to the 75s. So we basically have Delhi. Let's start there. And um, Stefan Robert is the defending champion, but it was in 2016. <laughs> of course, since then, Stefan Robert has retired. He's been working at like um, the Djokovic Academy, I think, as well. So he's definitely not competing here. Benjamin Bonzi is the top seed, so this time not starting from the qualifying, like in Pune. He plays uh, Enzo Quaco, then Yuta Shimizu, Maxime Jonvier. Jonvier still looking for his first match win of the season, although he's, he's come close already a few times. You've got Enrico Dallavale playing a qualifier, Federico Gallo facing Karan Singh. Vacheroy is there again, but I don't know if I think he's going to go deep because he plays a qualifier, but then Coleman Wong or Mukund Sasikumar, who's been also doing very well this Indian swing, though he withdrew ahead of his match last week, so we'll see how he is physically. Ramanathan Skulkait, Sue Oliveira, also decent matches. Then bottom half, you've got Hong against Boyer, Sweeney against Kashnikovsky again. It was actually a pretty disappointing showing from Max only winning five games on Dane, so he has a chance to try again. You've got Bernard Tomic playing Daribor Svcina and also a couple of qualifiers there. Oliver Crawford is the fifth seed playing uh, Evgeny Donskoy and then Tunglin Wu plays a qualifier, Blancano also against the qualifier. And the bottom uh, matchup in the draw is also quite fiery because you've got Goffier on Clan and Adam Walton. Yeah, and I have no clue what to do here, definitely. When it comes to the qualifying, we have all the results there. I mean, there are definitely a few big-time contenders. Sakulic, if he qualifies, um, especially Samuel Vincent Rigeri as well. For Aitek, maybe this is finally the run, you know? I was sort of expecting him to have one big run during the Indian swing, and it hasn't happened. But a 6-3, 6-3 win over Kaichi Uchida, I think that's a very good effort today. Uh, for Aitek, when it comes to his Indian results so far, he's lost to Blanchet, he's lost to Tomic, and he's lost to Fanslow. The loss to Fanslow a little disappointing. Uh, so actually, he's only qualified once for now. He needs to beat uh, Javakian tomorrow to qualify for the second time. Can I pick For Aitek to win this title? I mean, I have absolutely no clue who's going to win it. But I guess the smart thing to do is just to go Bonzi, even though he lost to Enzo Quaco, right? Not, not Enzo Quaco, sorry, Rafael Corinho in a very high-quality final qualifying round in Pune. But um, Enzo Quaco is, of course, who, is bon who Bonzi is playing right now. But Bonzi, at his best, is just better than most of the field. Right now, I don't think he's better than Vachero. But Valentin Vachero, of course, could have run into some issues trying to win back-to-back -back titles here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with Benjamin Bonzi without that much confidence. But I think if he plays himself into form and he's been doing that slightly, I would say, uh, over the course of the past couple of weeks, just slightly getting his form up, he can win this event. And I think uh, that's basically the only sensible option I have, because otherwise I really have absolutely no clue who's going to win this one. I think it could be a random winner, provided that Walton Vachero will be tired, provided that Bonzi will have a poor performance somewhere. It could be a bit of a random winner for sure. 
would love to see Coleman Wong, for example, pick up this title, or yeah, for ATEC, as I said earlier. Um, I, I definitely would enjoy an Indian swing run from him uh, because it hasn't happened and it's a little disappointing, to be honest. Oh, and actually, uh, while I was talking about this, it seems that Jesper de Jong has withdrawn from Tenerife. So um, we don't have him, so I can't pick him. So, of course, it becomes even clearer that he wasn't fit against Caruso and sadly has to uh, step uh, away from the tour for we'll see how long again. When it comes to the actual draw in Tenerife, Gigante, the defending champion of the Tenerife 3 event, also the defending champion of the Tenerife 2 event, so he's like kind of double defending champion in a way. Jean-Bor Piroche is the top seed, he plays a qualifier and then Merida or Demin, so basically a youngster matchup in the second round for him. Then Agamenone plays a qualifier and you've got Kuzmanov Moleker. I love this one between Spaniards, Yamas Ruiz Landalusa. You've also got Gianessi against the qualifier, Travalia, the runner-up from Tenerife 2, plays Neumayer, and then you have Ilya Ivashka against the qualifier. Didn't Ilya Ivashka... I think Ilya Ivashka was supposed to play last week, and then he withdrew. He's been doing that quite a lot, actually, so I don't know if he's actually going to play. He only played one match so far this year, and it was Australian Open qualifying against Oliver Crawford. How does Ilya Ivashka still have this many points? Like, he's still in the top 200. And I don't remember him doing anything last year, literally anything. Third round at Indian Wells, okay. Second round at Miami. Second round at Monte Carlo from Qualies. Geneva quarterfinal. Los Cabos quarterfinal. So basically he was losing a billion opening rounds, but he had just a few main tour runs. And yeah, he's still in the top 200, but like, yeah, he needs to start winning challenger matches soon. Last year he played, uh, how many matches at the challenger level? Let's say four of them and only won one against Hugo Grenier in Surbiton. Uh, this year, I mean, this is kind of what he's left. Um, this is kind of what's left for him, right? Then in the bottom half, we have Buyun Chaukete playing a qualifier. You've got Josef Kovalik against Ilian Radulov. Radulov being a very, uh, well, I don't know if a talented junior yet, honestly. I kind of have to see him off the junior courts, but definitely a very successful junior. You've got Ricardo Bonadio against Martin Damm. And also Richard Zussman against Filip Misoric. And I have to say that Richard Zussman, Zussman, whatever, uh, that this is the guy that in Kiev 2021, he got a random wildcard, which I think he bought because there was no other explanation. Like at the time, his win-loss record on the ITF tour was like 126 or something in ITF qualifying. And he's actually improved. Like watching him last week against Kovalik, he was not bad at all. I remember even in that Kiev run, um, run. I mean, that Kiev match, uh, he was kind of much better than I expected. And I'm interested to see if he can trouble Misolic at least. I don't know if beat, but Misolic has been a bit out of it for a while as well. But yes, I still think he probably bought the wild cards because, like, how does he get them? But anyway, he has improved. Probably he just has a lot of money and sort of has been training. And uh, yeah, just driving around tournaments without any care in the world. And yeah, he has actually improved. So compared to someone like Druva Mulia, who seems to have a similar career path and still hasn't gotten himself to any real level, Zussman actually can play. Then you've got Mateo Gigante against Denis Novak. Oh, fairly tough opening round for Gigante. In general, the Gigante draw is tough. You've got Daniel Rincon in the second round against Ore Qualifier. Then also Marie Rodriguez Taverna. And Jesper de Jong was supposed to be there playing uh, Oriol Roca Bataya, but it's actually Oriol Roca Bataya exactly who takes over his seeding. He is um, seeded ninth and in that spot where Jesper was. Um, tough one, definitely a tough one. 
when it comes to the qualifying draw, I will have to look at the results because they haven't been updated into the PDF yet. Yeah, because one more match is still going on, Caruso's cutoff. But we've got guys like Morocanias, he could be very dangerous in these conditions, I think. Uh, Horda Sanchez made it through against Veseli, I think saving match points. Kukushkin beat Basilashvili very easily. Kukushkin, great form this year, maybe he can be dangerous. You've got Gastao Elias, Lokoli, Holmgren beating Taberner today, Hadi Habib, Mitchell Kruger. So overall, I think the set of qualifiers will be dangerous from Tenerife. They could easily go on a run here. Now, what do I want to do here? Landaluce to win the title, that's a bit much. When it comes to Jean Borpiroz, important to mention that. Pirosh will definitely have a shot at the top 100 this week. I'm not sure yet how big that shot will be, but it's it, it's again going to be like, you know, make a semi or make a final, something like that, I think. So, um, I mean, honestly, it's an amazing opportunity for him because the draw is also nice. Like, the draw is actually very, very doable. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see how this progresses and like how close Pirosh will be exactly. But at least for the next few weeks, he kind of has a bit of a carte blanche until that Sekesvahervar uh, challenger in, in Hungary, where after that, he's just going to be dropping points left and right. Anyway, uh, Pirosh, I think, has a real chance because, well, he lost to Jules Marie in the first round last time, but he plays a qualifier here, which could be tough. Like, it could be t much tougher than his second round, for example, against Merida, Aguilar or Demin. But, uh, yeah, the quarter does not... Well, at, at least making it to the quarterfinals, if the qualifier isn't too tough, it looks very manageable. But I don't know if I see him necessarily winning the event. But then again, who do I want to pick here otherwise? Like the third quarter has a pretty weird set of players. Like I, I kind of like Martin Dam's chances to get out of this, even though Dam outdoors has been so weaker, so much weaker. Gigante, I don't really want to go for obviously again. And you know what? I think I'm going to do something stupid. I, I, I think I'm going to try something a little optimistic. Yeah, I'm going to try Daniel Rincon. I'm gonna sort of bank on the idea that um, Gigante will be a little tired. They actually played in the first round of this event last year and Gigante won 6-4, 6-2. But I'm gonna try to bank on the idea that, Rin that Gigante will be a little tired, Rincon beats him and then sort of takes over his part of the draw, which is after that very manageable. Like the bottom half is weaker, especially after Jesper has had to withdraw. So. I think Daniel Rincon has a good shot if he can beat Gigante in the second round, if Gigante will be tired. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to try, Daniel Rincon. I think, uh, you know, he, he has definitely lost some of that magic that he had in the summer of 2023, but that title at some point should be doable for him, right? And he has been getting wins from time to time this year. And uh, I think he could wake up on a court like this. Obviously, last week he lost a pretty tight match to Enrique Rocha. So it wasn't a horrible loss. It was definitely a little disappointing for him, but it wasn't horrible. So I think Rincon is actually a decent idea. I, I, I just really don't know what to do here. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with Rincon instead of just picking, you know, Pirosh again, just uh, top seed and... I guess one of the best players in the draw, but, but no, I'm, I'm going to try Rincon. It's going to be legendary if it works out, uh, but if it doesn't, well, you can sue me. Anyway, um, we also go to Rwanda. Kigali, Challenger 50. So exciting to get a Challenger in such a place and uh, basically, you know, and, and if, uh, 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 let's say a country 
part of the world, even in a way where the Toronto tour has not been before, because you, uh, well, South Africa is still pretty far from that, right? So, so I think this is this is definitely amazing. This is fifteen hundred meters altitude, by the way. So it could be a bit wild in terms of the conditions. I honestly watched just like a few balls from the qualifying today to just check out the courts. Uh, so I don't really have a massive idea on how it plays yet, but well, it's 1500 meters altitude, so we can kind of imagine how it plays. When it comes to the actual draw, and it's it's definitely very seed um, heavy, like the, the seeds are amazing, but the depth of the field is not there. Ivan Gakov plays Gabriele Penaforti and then Corentin Denoli or Hernan Casanova. There's going to be uh, Dev, the Indian with three first names, SD Prajval Dev, playing a qualifier and then Max Hokes or a qualifier. The third seed is Calvin Emery. Usually, well, not, not uh, surprised to see him here, right? I mean, he even played these 25Ks in Congo last year. So uh, definitely someone who loves these uh, type of conditions. And I think he could be dangerous. He plays David Pichler, though. And Pichler, of course, uh, a very good server as well. A double specialist for the most part. That's also a big opportunity for him. You've got Damien Wenger playing a qualifier, then Bogdan Bobrov against wildcard Kamil Majkszak. And yes, Kamil Majkszak gets a wildcard here. He was actually the first guy out for the main draw, despite having a ranking of 800. Uh, so that kind of tells you where the cut was. And they still they gave him a wildcard, so that's very nice. And um, I, I do have high hopes for him in this event. I'm going to get back to that. Juan Pablo Paz plays against Mo Savvat there. And in the bottom half, we've got Nicolas David Yonel against Joshua Sheehy. Uh, Jacob Brown plays Guy Orli Iradun Kunda. That's the Burundian tennis player. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't know him if he wasn't from Burundi and he kind of just, you know, you, you see him in the rankings because of that, because that's literally the only, well, even person from Burundi that I know. Then you also have Aziz Uwaka playing Emilien Voisin and Marco Trunchelitti in the same section playing a qualifier. You've got Benjamin Locke against a qualifier, Ishai Oliel against a qualifier. There's another player from an, um, an underused country, let's say, Ernest Habiambere, who is, well, from Rwanda, the only local player. We're gonna see uh, how uh, that goes. I have never heard of him. He plays Daniel Zuckerman, so I would expect a loss. And then it's a hilarious matchup at the bottom with Clement Tabur, the second seed, playing Stefan Kozlov. And the only thing, well, hilarious about this is that Stefan Kozlov is here and playing on an altitude clay court event. And I am so excited to see how this pans out for him. I mean, I have absolutely no idea how he's going to look. Obviously, green clay has been a relatively successful surface for him in the past, but he hasn't played a clay, a clay match since 2022, which was actually when he went 0-5 on clay. And that, that included some uh, massive matches, like the loss to Jose Pereira, where he won one game, for example, or to Mejia, where he won two games, or to Nino Serdarusic in French Open qualies. And he actually, from what I see, he had like a quarterfinal in Bordeaux years ago. So it seems like he wasn't that bad, you know? He won a round in the French Open qualifying, quarterfinal in Savannah, quarterfinal in uh, Tallahassee, but again, that, that's green play, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just very excited to see how Kozlov looks here. Most likely it's going to be, you know, a lot of chaos. 
When it comes to the qualifying, I legit, other than Alafia Ayeni, I can't tell you almost like anything about either guy here. Leonid Schengesicht, I think we've seen on the Challenger Tour from time to time. Noah Schachter maybe in qualities as well. But otherwise, it's rough. Preston Brown, of course, is a bit of a legend for um, signing up for every single list and like being on the bottom of the alternate lists for every event. And here he was actually, you know, accepted. Here he was he was actually accepted into the qualifying. He was a seed in the qualifying even. And he's still there after beating uh, Parikshit Somani today in a very tough match. So, um, yeah, the qualifying is not strong. I mean, Alafia Ayeni could be interesting because, of course, Ayeni has that balls-to-the-wall aggression playstyle. He, ru- he just rushes the net. And this could be very good on these courts. Players like this could easily succeed on these courts. So we're going to see how that goes for him. Uh, definitely one of these players is also Benjamin, uh, Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Locke. And uh, I would say that uh, the sixth seed here in the main row is also a fairly dangerous contender, given he at least had that altitude run last year. I think there's a big difference between like the quality of the players, because I think quality-wise on clay right now, you've kind of got Gakov, Mike Shak, Trunheriti as like the main three. But you also have the conditions, and then you have to give a bit of a chance to Hokes, to Emery, um, probably not to someone like Yonel, maybe Tabur even, like he has a pretty decent draw if he beats Kozlov. Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, it's going to be an exciting watch. A lot of matches, especially early on, will be, uh, let's say, subpar, not really at the challenger standard, not really at the 25k standard, honestly even but uh well it's definitely nice to see this event and sort of a few players here are definitely quite exciting and if we get an emery mike shack for example quarterfinal like that's a proper proper match you know in especially in an on a court like this um when it comes to mike shack i do kind of feel like he should win at least one of these rwanda events and i'm gonna pick him for both i think Uh, Well, if he wins the first title, maybe I'm not going to pick him for the second one. But if he doesn't win the first one, I think you can expect me to pick him for the second one. With the field quality that we have and with how well he started the year, I would be very confident about this if this wasn't at altitude. I tried to check like how often Camille played at altitude. I only really found that Anning challenger that used to be there in China on clay. Yes, there used to be a Chinese challenger on clay, which was actually on a fair amount of altitude. It did used to play like completely different than usual clay. And he lost in back-to-back years in the semi-finals to Prajnes Gunesvaran. This one, this I actually remembered. I didn't know this challenger was on altitude, though. I just remembered it was like weird clay, but I didn't know how even. And I remembered him losing to Gunesvaran back-to-back years in the semis. So it wasn't horrible losses, definitely not. 2018-19 Gunesvaran was still very much relevant. So um, to sort of put it briefly, I think it would be amazing for Camille to win one of these. I think quality-wise, from what I've seen, both from his results so far this year, and also from the matches that we were able to see, so Otinielu Volanev and Davis Cup, because all the ITFs were non-streamed, I think he's got a very good chance of winning one of these events. The draw here isn't perfect. Uh, Emery in the quarters, also even Savvat or Paz in the second round, like that's not that easy compared to some of these other parts of the draw. But all in all, I still want to pick him. And as I said, I kind of just feel like he should win one of these. So that's why I'm just going to go for him on both, even if he doesn't win the first event, I think. You know, maybe if he, uh, I don't know, 
is uh, sick in the first event or like maybe he actually plays horribly maybe i'm not gonna follow up on that promise but here i'm definitely choosing Camille Mike to win this title and by the way if he wins like even one of these that would put him in an amazing position to fight for i'm gonna say even us open qualifying uh australia was like the initial you know plan that i would be satisfied with but he really returned in style so far so so let's see but like us open qualities would be a fantastic goal and uh, getting a title in Rwanda, getting these 50 points, that would be massive. And by the way, there was an interesting discussion as well on Twitter about like whether more players should have traveled to Rwanda. And I kind of have to say that I get why the field is weaker than usually, because it's not that easy to just go there and pick up points. First of all, you have the 15,000 meters altitude, which makes it so much tougher to sort of um, separate yourself from some of the other players, even if they're like, you know, technically weaker than you. And also, um, let's imagine that, let's say the average result is winning around in both events, for example, and then you only gain eight points. So you gain eight points for going to Rwanda for two weeks. I don't think that's necessarily, you know, worth it for some European random player who isn't confident that he's going to make the final semi in this event. So it's a big opportunity for the players. However, it does take a bit of risk, you know, to go somewhere where, where like likely your travel time is going to be pretty huge. You don't really have any events to like schedule around, you know, maybe you can play like something in Tunisia earlier than go to Rwanda, right? But that's still a big flight. Uh, it's not that easy, basically, to commit to a double like this. It puts a lot of pressure on you as well. But obviously, there are some players who kind of needed to be here. And I think someone like Emery, Hokes, yeah, this is absolutely perfect scheduling for them. Some players we really expected, of course, as well. I mean, Benjamin Locke being from Zimbabwe, obviously, that's uh, something obvious too. But even given his preferences for these conditions... Also, um, I would say that Mike Schreck being here is also super explainable because he... Uh, well, this is the only challenger he can get to on his own ranking, you know, so without getting a wildcard. Eventually, of course, he got a major wildcard, but he would have been the top seed in qualifying anyway. So so it's it's not like that. Uh, he actually would have been the second seed in qualifying because Alafia Yeni would have taken the first seed he he got in as an alternate. But but anyway, I mean, even if he that wouldn't get here, he would actually get um, out of uh, the, um, well, he would get into the qualifying. Let's see if in the second event he makes the main draw or not, or if they give him a wildcard again. But basically, uh, yeah, that's the only challenger event he can make the qualifying off or even make the main draw here almost uh, on his own ranking. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely am excited to see tennis in Rwanda and uh, we're going to watch this week and see how that goes, you know. Definitely great to have challenger tennis in a part of the world even, which uh, it kind of didn't really visit before. Or, you know, in the past couple of years, we didn't even have Pochevstrom anymore, so we only really had Tunis in uh, the whole of Africa. Anyway, uh, let's uh, finish it off right here. Uh, this is the content for this week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you uh, for, for being here with me. And we're going to be back in seven days to discuss uh, Kigali, to discuss uh, Tenerife again, Tenerife part three, to discuss Lille. And as usual, I'm absolutely forgetting that one event, which is uh, New Delhi, of course, the completion of the Indian Swing. So once again, thank you, and I'll see you in seven days. Bye.